Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live.
I believe in that. I know that. I claim that for her. I ask God that you would please help her for food and with the jailers and the other inmates, that you would have divine favor upon her. Help her, Lord, in this difficult time. With all of the situation of people around her, I ask you, Lord God, for provision for her. I'm confident that there are people that are helping her with all of her needs. I ask you, Lord God, to help her family, any husband, children, grandchildren, sisters, brothers, parents, grandparents, nephews, nieces, anybody, God, that she is related to or has affiliation with, friends, co-workers, church members that are praying for her, we lift them up to you, Lord, as well. We pray, God, that, that you would make a way of escape for her, that you would intervene, Lord God. We pray, Lord, that you would convict that judge's heart, his mind, and his flesh. We ask, Lord God, that you would remove him from the bench. We ask, Lord God, that you would use this as a time when that church congregation and her church family and her herself will be thinking about the tribulation, getting deeper into your Holy Spirit, getting deeper into your word and thinking about things, how that we're not just going to fly out of here before the tribulation, but we're going to suffer the persecution just like the world is. So we ask God that you would lay that on their hearts and minds and help them to see through this situation with clarity and reality about the condition that the world's in at the time we're living in, turning the tribulation, that God, they would take this time to draw closer to you through this and come out of deception, out of Babylon. We pray for Kim Davis and not against her. We pray for her family and her church. Lord, we lift her up to you, Lord, and ask God that you would keep her on our minds, on our hearts, because it could be us. Lord God, help us, Lord, for it's only going to get worse from this moment forth. Help us, God, to not be fearful, to, have, to still have peace, Lord, even in the midst of all this and more to come, that we would still have peace, Lord, that you're still in control, that all of this is ordained, that you're in control, that these things must occur. It is written in the scriptures. So God, just give us overwhelming peace. Cleanse our mind and our heart from fear, worry, and anxiety. Help us, Lord, to have peace in the midst of the storm. This is only possible through your spirit, Lord. Dwell in us, Lord. Help us to worship you more. Help us, God, to dwell in worship, in thanksgiving, in gratitude. But no matter how bad it gets, we have a reward if we will stand firm. If we will endure until the end, we have a reward that is greater than any suffering. The sufferings of this time are not worthy to even be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Thank you for calling us, choosing us for this day, for this time. God, you knew 
that we would be suitable for these days, that we could handle it. Help us, Lord, to not shrink back, but to make you proud of us, Lord, that we would not be wimps, but rather that we will be the witnesses, that we will be the heroes of our time, the Daniels, the Pauls, the Ezekiels, the Jeremiahs, the Noahs and the Moses of our day and of our time. Help us, Lord, to be your ambassadors to the people, to the world, to our families, to our communities, to our nation, and to all the inhabitants of this earth. Help us, God, to be good ambassadors, strong, not with a mind of fear, a heart of fear, but with power and love and a sound mind as your people, as your kingdom, as your government upon this earth. If we put our eyes upon our king, you would save us. If we put our eyes upon you, king, Lord Jesus, that it's all going to be okay. Thank you, God. Praise the Lord Jesus that the archangel Michael shall stand for your people. Thank you, God. Thank you for victory. We've read the end of the book. We know how it's going to turn out. The wicked will perish. The wicked will be cut off from the land. Come, great tribulation, come. We need a shaking. I need a shaking. We need a shaking. Let it come, Lord. The blood cries out from the land. When will we be revenged? Vintage is yours, Lord. Let it come. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, I ask you, God, to help me, God, this day to explain about the Feast of Trumpets, about the Seven Trumpets. I ask you, Lord God, to help us to understand these things more clear now than ever before. Let us not be confused. Let us come all the way out of Babylon. Let us not keep one foot in Babylon or one finger in Babylon. Help us, God, to come all the way out of Babylon. Help us, God, to be controlled by your Spirit, God. Scriptures say that. God, I want to be controlled by your Spirit, God. Lead me. Show me the way. Teach me your ways, God. Fill me, Lord, with your spirit. Let your spirit, Lord, move me. Your spirit, God, move my feet. Move my mouth. Move my hands. Move me, Lord, where you want me to be. Realign me, Lord. Realign my mind and my heart to your mind, your heart, your spirit. Realign me, Father God. Help me. In Jesus' name, I ask God your blessing on all of his service from beginning to end. Everything I said, everything done. It would be a blessing to you and a help to the church, the body of Christ, to the kingdom of God. Thy will be done in this service as your will is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. In Jesus' name, so be it. Amen. Praise God.
may be seated. Well, we're going to be talking today about the Feast of Trumpets because that is the first holy day coming up. And so, for the record, today's date on the Roman calendar is September the 5th. 2015, 2015 A.D., in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ, September 5th, and I forgot to look at the calendar, so why, anybody know what day it is in God's calendar? 22nd day, huh? 22nd day. Okay, praise God, thank you. 22nd day, she said, of the sixth month. So we're coming up really really quick to the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets coming up really quick now. So we need to know ahead of time before we get to that day. We need to know what season this is, what time this is, what we're heading into, why we're going to be keeping the feast days, why we're going to be keeping the Feast of Trumpets, how to keep it, why, all of this we need to know. So, let's focus in on just that one day, Feast of Trumpets. We'll do another teaching before Day of Atonement, just on Day of Atonement. We'll do another teaching before the Feast of Tabernacles, just on the Feast of Tabernacles, so that we can break it down step by step and really understand these things. That way we're better able to to share it with other people and know what we're doing and why we're doing this. The Bible says to be able to give account, be able to give account to others. So we want to be able to explain it to others. So we got to know it ourselves first. Let's turn to Leviticus 23. And as always, we're reading from the New American Standard Bible. But you're welcome to follow along in King James or whatever translation you may have there. And let's see. I know I'm still recording, but my phone is messing up as far as like internet. What in the world? So if anybody gets disconnected, make sure you, uh, I hope, pray, ask you, please uh, just read dial back in or go back on the internet, whatever you need to do to be connected. If anybody does get uh, cut off or anything, nature of the internet and electronics is problems. <laughs> problems, problems, problems. And uh, I want you to know, Lance, that I really appreciate you that you're tuning in each week. Uh, by telephone and listening. Appreciate Lisa as well that listens uh, online. Um, okay, looks like got the internet back up because we're doing this by phone and internet both. So sometimes the phone is still broadcasting, but the internet may not be. So got to keep two things going at all times. Appreciate your prayers for the broadcast.
broadcast and for these services and for the ministry in general. Appreciate all your prayers. We need all the prayers we can get in this day and time. Leviticus 23, and let's go to verse 23. Leviticus 23, verse 23. The previous verses talk about Passover, well, Sabbath, Passover, Days of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost. Then when we get up to 23, it talks about Feast of Trumpets. And as we read this, let's remember and keep it in the context that uh, even though God was teaching these things and commanding these things in the Old Covenant, we still keep them in the New Covenant as uh, teaching us more about Jesus Christ. We're keeping these things not in the letter of the Old Law, but in the spirit of the New Covenant we keep these days. We think about Jesus. We keep these things for Jesus. These are his days, which he kept, which he created, which he commanded. We only have one God. We don't have like two gods or three gods or four gods or five gods. We only got one God. So this is not a God of 2,000 years ago, but rather it is the God Jesus. This is God's holiday. This is Jesus' holiday. Verse 23, again, the Lord spoke. Who is the Lord? Spoke. When the Lord speaks, who is it that speaks? When the Lord speaks, it is Jesus that speaks. In fact, uh, the translation would be better, J-E. Again, the J-E spoke to Moses, but you wouldn't pronounce it J-E, but I'm spelling it out for you. And you would pronounce it G as in Jesus. It's not the letter G but it's a J-E sound, uh, so it uh, would be J-E. Originally, it was actually J-E-H, but the, the H was silent. So I just say J-E because you don't pronounce the H. Again, the J-E or the G, Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the sons of Israel, saying in the seventh month, not the Roman calendar, but God's calendar, in the seventh month, on the first of the month, the very first day of the seventh month, that's going to be Feast of Trumpets, you will have a rest. Now, I don't know about the, the uh, publisher of your Bible, but the publisher of my Bible has a little number one beside rest, which goes to the margin. It says literally Sabbath rest. And I'm sure if we study... The Hebrew and Greek words there, I'm sure it actually means Sabbath observance. So the Feast of Trumpets is a Sabbath. It is a day of rest when we do not work. A reminder by blowing of trumpets. So it's supposed to remind us of something. Uh, or bring something into our mind. Bring something into uh, um, memory. It could be past or present. Uh, I mean, past or future. We think of remember as being only past. But that's not true here. It, it can actually be past or future, something that comes into your mind by blowing a trumpet. So the blowing of the trumpet makes you 
think something. The blowing of the trumpet brings something into your mind. And if we're keeping this in a new covenant fashion, then the trumpet can be a blowing of alarm, sounding of alarm, warning the people of their sins, warning them of coming judgment, um, and also the catching up, which we know occurs at the seventh trumpet. We're going to study that more in a few minutes. All of this really should come into our mind. All of this is related to trumpets. Uh, So again, trumpets is a sound of alarm, a warning, a calling out, a message of warning, of coming judgment, as well as an announcement of the coming of the Lord and the announcement of the catching up of the body of Christ. Not no preacher of rapture. I'm not talking about those fairy tales. I'm talking about biblical catching up into heaven for a short period of time for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God by blowing a trumpet, a holy complication. And that word complication means a commanded gathering of people, a commanded worship service. It's not, well, I, I might or might not. No, it's a commandment to go to services on that day, to have a worship service. Verse 25, you should not do any laborious work. So again, it's letting us know for sure that we understand this right, is that it is a Sabbath. But you shall present our offering by far to the Lord. Well, we know in the New Covenant that uh, a literal, physical letter of the law offering by fire, uh, setting some wood on fire, or killing an animal, or burning an animal, or any of these things, all of that is ceremonial. It's a ritual. It's a ceremonial letter of the law ritual that people would do those things and that God commanded the people to do those things back then in the Old Covenant. But in the New Covenant, we are not uh, so primitive anymore. We're, we're more mature in Christ. We understand that all of these things in the flesh that was done in the flesh at one time, was to teach us things, which are now replaced by Jesus Christ, because once Christ comes, then the law master of the law is done away with, as far as the letter of the law and the old covenant law is done away with. So we don't do the offering by far, literally, but spiritually we do an offering by far with our prayers that our prayers is the incense. Is, is that not biblical? That the our prayers are an incense uh, ascending up to God in heaven. So our prayers is the offering. We also have scriptures that say that on the holy days uh, that we're supposed to bring an offering, a tithe uh, to uh, the congregation, to the ministry, uh, to the temple, we are the temple of God now, but we still have a ministry. We still have uh, expenses for the finances, stuff like that. I believe that the uh, money offering is still intact because we still have the same need 
that there is still a need for the financial uh, responsibilities of the church, uh, whereas we have no need to set a piece of wood on fire. We have no need to set an animal on fire or to sacrifice to kill an animal. Those things we have no need of under Jesus Christ. But we live in a physical world and we still have need of financial responsibility to the kingdom of God, to the church. So then verse 26 starts talking about the Day of Atonement. And we'll, let's just read through this since we're so close to all the holy days. Verse 26, the, the G, Jesus spoke to Moses saying, on exactly the tenth day of the seventh month, so that's nine days after the trumpets, tenth day of the seventh month is a day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation, commanded gathering for you, and you shall humble your souls, talking about fasting. Now, even though it doesn't actually say fasting, we know what it means by humbling your soul. And we have the witness and the testimony and the teaching of uh, many prophets throughout the ages before us and apostles and church fathers that taught us what this means. Now, we can't always assume that everything that's been handed down to us is correct. We've got to examine and prove all things. But I believe that if we was to really examine this about whether we have been taught correctly that it's talking about fasting, I believe the conclusion would definitely be that's what it's talking about. You should humble your soul. It's talking about humbling your body and your spirit and your heart and present an offering, your prayers, by fire to the Lord. And you should not do any works as a Sabbath on the same day. What same day is it talking about? The tenth day. You should not do any work on this same day for it's a day of atonement to make atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. If there be any person who will not humble himself on this same day, he shall be cut off from the people. As for any person who does not work, who does any work on the same day, that person I would destroy from among his people. You should do no work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your own place. It is to be a Sabbath of complete rest to you and you shall humble your souls on the ninth of the month at evening. And from evening until evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. Now, that is a very unique and different description, instruction about how you keep a holy day. You don't see that when it, on any of the ones before this. You don't see that uh, until you get to this day. Now, other scriptures, other verses, talk about the days of unleavened bread, that you start your unleavened bread at evening and go into evening seven days later. But other than that, you don't see anything close to this with trumpets, with feast tabernacles, with Pentecost, with the weekly Sabbath. So this is unique to this. Holy Day. And we can't take it out of context and try to apply it to different Holy Days. People say, well, why would this Holy Day be different? Because it is different. It is the only Holy Day that you commanded to afflict your soul, to humble your soul, to fast. It's the only Holy Day that you commanded to do that. Now, on the Days of Unleavened Bread, 
you are commanded to fast from levity to seven days. So that's a partial flat fast for the seven days of unleavened bread if you fast from levity. So it is on the it is on the commanded fast day that you do sunset to sunset. Now it's not saying the day itself starts at sunset, but rather it's saying you start afflicting your soul and observing of how you're doing it at sunset from sunset to sunset. It says, from evening to evening, you shall keep your Sabbath. It doesn't say your Sabbaths. So it's singular here. So it's saying singular Sabbath. It's not saying Sabbaths. Okay, so that's right there is a good clue to it as well. Um, now, so keep your Sabbath means this is how long and when you are going to be doing your rest and your fasting, both. Because the word Sabbath means rest, right? So it is you're keeping your, your rest, you're not doing no work, and you're fasting from sunset to sunset. So once sunset comes on that tenth day, you can start eating, right? So once sunset comes on that tenth day, you can also start working because you are done observing that Sabbath, that rest. You are done observing that rest. But now the day itself continues until sunrise. Even though you finished your resting, you finished your fasting, the day itself goes until sunrise. It's not saying the day starts at sunset. We know from Scripture over and over and over how it talks about the day starts at daybreak, at the breaking of the day, at sunrise. That is repeated so many times in Scripture. Now notice here it says you start on the ninth day. So if you're starting at sunset on the ninth, then if you're if the day, if all days of all Sabbaths, if the day itself, twenty four hour period starts at sunset, then how can you start at sunset on the ninth? You would be fasting two days. Because and nobody teaches that you should fast two days for this. Nobody that I've ever heard of in my life. I'm sure, maybe somebody out there might. But if you're, if it is the tenth, that is the day of atonement, and you start your observance of it at sunset the previous day. And if the day starts at sunset, then you're not starting it the previous day, are you? Understand? I, I should have brought my whiteboard. But if this is your 24-hour period, sunrise to sunrise, on the 10th, that's your day. It says to start on the previous day 
Thessalonians chapter 4. We're all familiar with this. It's uh, the most popular scripture for pre-trib rapture, even though I don't even say that. Verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. 
13, verse 13. But we do not want to be uninformed, or King James says, ignorant, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, this is talking about those that are in the grave. It's talking about those that the world calls dead. Jesus said he is not dead, but asleep. These people are sleeping so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. Because the world uh, is, I I just got to say it, it's the truth, it's hypocritical the way that the world thinks and the way we've been taught to think that, well, they're in heaven, but we're sad and we're grieving. Well, it says, I don't want you to grieve. That, you know, it's not all said and done. It's not over with. They're not judged yet. They don't have the reward, whether it's heaven or hell or lake of fire or paradise or anything. They don't have the reward yet, the scriptures say. You would not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. If we have hope, we don't need to be grieving. If we have knowledge, if we're not ignorant, if we're not uninformed, if we're not ignorant of the reality about where they're at and what's going to happen, then why should we grieve? As do the rest who have no hope. Verse 14. For if we believe, if we believe, do we believe or do we not? believe. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord. So this ain't just Paul, his opinion, like sometimes he would say, but this time it is, thus saith the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. The Greek word there for remain means to make it through, to survive until the day. To to go through it. Right there is solid proof against future rapture. Solid. That we have to remain until the coming of the Lord. And the coming of the Lord is not before the tribulation. There's nothing in all of Scripture Genesis to Revelation. They says he comes before the tribulation. So how can we say it's talking about before the tribulation? That would be just to insert something that we can't find in any verse. So it's talking about after the tribulation, that we remain through the tribulation and are still alive until the coming. Not, not, it doesn't say one of the coming. It doesn't say the third coming. Because if he comes before the tribulation and then after the tribulation, then he is coming a third time. Is that not true? Is that not correct? That if we believe that he came the first time as a babe, then he comes before the trib, that would be a second coming, and then after the trib would be a third coming. But you never hear that in Babylonian churches, that there's a third coming. But it's exactly what they teach is a third coming coming, even though they don't use that word. They don't want to use that word. 
because they know if they say it like that, everybody will see through their lies. To the coming of the Lord. Will not perceive those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So this is a scripture that's talking about Jesus Christ and a blowing of a trumpet. But see, the Bible doesn't tell us A, B, C. Face the trumpet is about this. We have to learn it by reading all the scriptures that talk about the trumpets in relation to Jesus Christ. Trumpets in relation to the church. Trumpets in relation to the saints of God. Trumpets in relation to those that keep the commandments of God. And if we look at all those verses, then we know what trumpets is about and what the day of trumpets is about, what the feast trumpets is about. So, then we who are alive and remain from the tribulation will be called up together with them that are asleep so the people that if we make it through the tribulation alive, we will be called up together to meet those that have died at any time since Jesus walked on the earth from the time of the apostles and disciples up until the day he comes, those people that have died in Christ they were truly, truly saved. They were covered in the blood. They had been baptized in Jesus. They had been baptized in his crucifixion and his resurrection. And they were ready when they died to meet the Lord. They were mature in Christ. They were not babies in Christ. They were mature in Christ. And they died in that state of maturity in Christ and salvation, true salvation. They are asleep until the blowing of this trumpet. They rise in the air and we arise in the air and we meet together in the air in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we are caught up. There is a catching up. Many, many, many people that teach against pre-trib don't know that there is a catching up because they get so caught up in speaking against the rapture, that they overlook that, well, there is a catching up. We just got to preach the right timing of it. And we don't call it a rapture because if we call it a rapture, then everybody's thinking we're talking about pre-trip. So to confuse, I mean, to avoid confusion, we should not call our catching up a rapture at all. We need to call it what it says right here, a catching up or call up. Now, Latin did say some kind of a version, not the word rapture itself, but something rap, rap something. But that's only in Latin 
that it appears. I think we need to just say catching up, which is English, because we don't have to talk Hebrew or Greek or Aramaic or Syrian. We're English. We must just talk English. Keep it simple. The gospel is supposed to be simple. And if we are witnessing to people, we need to talk English and use the words that they can see with their eyes and that they can understand. Catching up together with them the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we're going up there to meet the Lord. We're going up there to meet our Savior, our Messiah, and to partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. And we shall always be with the Lord. And people think this means that we're always going to be in heaven. It doesn't say that. Again, we've got to stop inserting words that it don't say. It doesn't say that we're always going to be in heaven. It says we're always going to be with the Lord. So where's the Lord going to be? Well, during the marriage supper, Revelation 19, he's in heaven. And then on the battle of Armageddon, the 1,335th day of Daniel 12, 1335 days, Daniel 12, on that last day, he comes down and we come down with him. We're going to read more about that. And his feet shall land on the mount of olives in Jerusalem and shall cleave in two, Zechariah 14. Zechariah 14 says all of his armies shall be with him. That's us, Revelation 19. Says his armies clothed with white linen, the righteousness of the saints. So he comes down to earth on that last day. He comes down to earth, then he stays on earth during the millennium, Revelation 5, verse 10. Then he stays on earth uh, after the millennium is over with. He's there at the white throne judgment. And then uh, New Jerusalem comes down from heaven. And it lands on earth. And he shall dwell with us. We don't go to dwell with him. He comes to dwell with us. So we're not going to be in heaven. Where is the Lord going to be? He's going to be on earth. It's going to be paradise on earth. It's going to be a restoration of the Garden of Eden all across the earth. The curse will be removed and we will live in the Garden of Eden. We're going to live in the Garden of of Eden. That's why Jesus told the thief on the cross who had repented, who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, that you shall be with me in paradise. He wasn't talking about a hole in the grave, a hole in the ground, an upper chamber of hell. He wasn't talking about heaven. He was talking about renewed earth, garden of Eden upon the entire that word paradise is what the Greek Cetudian originally had said about the Garden of Eden in Genesis. It said the paradise of Eden. So then it says here, verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. In other words, when, when a, a person dies, we should try to comfort them with the scriptures and say, guess what? They're not in the hell. Guess what? They're not in the lake of fire. Guess what? They don't have their judgment yet. Guess what? Uh, 
There, all of this must occur. We must have the tribulation. We must have the trumpets. We must have seven seals, seven trumpets, a catching up, a wrath of God, the coming of the Lord, a thousand years, and then a second resurrection. And once they learn about the second resurrection, there is hope. Hope for the lost. Hope for the retarded. Hope for the disabled. Hope for the downtrodden. Hope for the outcasts and the black sheep of the family. Hope for the aborted babies and those that die young. Hope. We don't have to grieve as the world who are ignorant. But if we know the plan of salvation, the true plan of salvation, and see the holy days teach us the plan of salvation. Well, that's not anything that needs to be done away with. The holy days teach us the salvation plan of Jesus Christ and things that are yet to come. So we need the holy day. And we need to understand the Feast of Trumpets. And in verse 16, it says that we're going, that there's going to be a shout, a voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we with them. What trumpet? Is that talking about? Is that talking about the first one, the second, third, or seven trumpets? So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, and it will tell us what trumpet it is. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. Corinthians 15, verse 62. Back up to verse 50, just to get a little bit of context. 52 is what we really want to read. So let's just get a little bit of context. Verse 50, now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. In other words, there's, there's going to be some still alive when Jesus comes. That's what 1 Thessalonians 4 just told us, that yes, some will have died by then, but some will remain, make it through the tribulation, survive the tribulation until that very day. And so not all will sleep, but we will all be changed. If we're going to go into heaven, we might not die, but, well, we, we might not sleep. Let me get it right. We might not sleep, that we will all be changed if we're going to go there. In a moment, verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, everybody twists this, and it is so frustrating to me, how everybody would twist this and say that Jesus is coming in the twinkling of an eye. That's not what it says. We've got to stop inserting words 
that man has taught us to insert. They're just adding words in all these scriptures. You know, it says don't add to or take away. And they're constantly adding to. Does it say Jesus is coming back in the twinkle of the eye here? It does not say it. Never says it. But it says that we will be changed. We will. This is not talking about what kind of action, what kind of speed that Jesus comes. We will be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, like a winkle of the eye, at the last trump. At the last trump. So it's not your first, second, third, or whatever. And if we read all the book of Revelation and all the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, then we read, that there are seven trumpets. And is this not talking about the end times? It's talking about when we are caught up, it's when we are changed from mortal to immortal, from flesh to spirit. Is that not talking about the end times? So if it's talking about the end times, then we must look at the trumpets of the end times, which is seven trumpets. We are risen, we are changed, and twinkling of the eye at the last trump. That would be the seventh trumpet. So that's how we know the catching up is at the seventh trumpet. That's one of the reasons. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised. A resurrection from the dead, is that not what 1 Thessalonians 4 said? Absolutely. So it's talking about the same event that they will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this person must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But yet Babylon church teaches you that all men, both righteous and wicked, are already immortal. That's exactly what they teach. And anybody and everybody in every church and every denomination that teaches that the wicked will burn forever and ever and ever in hell, they teach that everybody is already immortal. You cannot burn in hell forever unless you are immortal. And that's exactly what they're teaching, is that every person that's ever lived righteous and wicked are immortal beings already. That's like saying, you, you are God. It's blasphemous. It's antichrist, what they teach. That doctrine of burning in hell forever is such a wicked, satanic, demonic teaching. Horrible teaching. Um, that we get all that out of it. It says here that we are mortal. Another verse says that only God is immortal. Now, but we shall become immortal if and when we are changed to spirit to inherit the kingdom of God. We must put on this immortality. Amen. Verse 54, but when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory. O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Praise God. Now let's go to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 talks about this blowing of the trumpet as well. The key to understanding is to look at all the different verses that talk about that trumpet. Matthew 24. Verse 29. 24, 29. Verse 29 says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days. It's interesting that it actually says that phrase after the tribulation, when you can look the entire Bible, look it up, Strong's Recorrence, online, and your heart copy both, and you'll never, ever, ever find the words before the tribulation, not even one. Before the tribulation is never written in Scripture. So isn't that solid proof against pre-trib rapture? That's a perfect point to bring up to Where is the word before the tribulation? And if you cannot show me in the scripture where it actually says those words, before the tribulation, (laughs) then why are you telling me that it is before the tribulation? How much more simple can we get? But immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now notice here that it's not the Son of Man coming yet at this particular point. We've got to take it one step at a time and read slowly. But it's the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Now, uh, when you look at this verse 29 where it's saying, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give it light and the stars will fall. Like again, I said, if we want, if we want understanding, the key to understanding is look at all the verses that deal with exactly what it's talking about. So if we look at all the verses that deal with exactly that. The book of Joel talks about the sun and the moon and the stars, right? And the book of Revelation talks about the sun, moon, and stars. Right? So, when we study it out, that event happens at the sixth seal. You have seven seals. First four have already been woken. Very next one is the fifth one. How do I know that? Because you got all, everybody has their own opinion about which seal is going to be whooping next. A lot of people say it's the seventh seal or it's the sixth seal or whatever. So how do we know? Well, I really encourage you to 
check out that article on the website, isawthelightministries.com, about the four horsemen. And there's a related article about the corruption of the uh, electric, petroleum, automobile industry, corruption of mankind. That article goes hand in hand with the four horsemen. And if you read both of those articles, all the scriptures I give, all the historical record I give, all the facts I give, I don't see how anybody in the whole world could read those two articles and walk away from it with any doubt. With any doubt, because it's just fact after fact after fact. I'm not saying this to lift up my writings or anything like that, but rather, if God shows me something, I've got to write about it. God teaches me something, I've got to write about it so other people can find out about it too. And those articles are meant to point you to the scriptures and to historical records that you can see with your own eyes how the first four seals have already been opened. And the scriptures tell us what happens in the fifth seal and the sixth and the seventh. So if we just look and compare it to scripture, if we just look at everything that's happened in the world, there's no way we can think that the first four have not already occurred. If we just look at what has happened in the world. So now the fifth one may be debatable if you're just looking at only the condition of the world. But the sixth one, there's no way you can say the sixth one's already been woken, even though there's a lot of people claiming it already has been woken. It's just silly the people things people claim. But if we're looking at the conditions of the world and compare it with the scripture, I don't see how anybody but in their right mind could say that the sixth one has already been woken. So we have to be in the fifth, or that the fifth is going to be woken soon. We've got to be already in it, or the fifth is going to be woken soon. And either way, it don't matter, as long as we understand that we're not in the sixth yet, because the sixth talks about the sun, the moon, and the stars. So this verse 29 is talking about the sun, moon, and stars. Now, it's confusing about where it says immediately after the tribulation. Because we, we've always been taught to name all three and a half years or seven years to name the whole thing, the great tribulation. And so men's wording it gets, can get confusing. Let us not focus on whether you're going to call the tribulation seven years or three and a half years or one year or two years, as long as we know this, that we have to endure, unless God would ordain us to die for the end of it, whatever God wills. But if we're going to stay alive, let's assume, just for sake of argument, if we're going to be alive, then we would be enduring how long? Three and a half years. Over and over and over and over and over, the Bible says 42 months, 1260 days, uh, time and time, half time. However you want to word it, over and over the Bible says three and a half years in different phrases. So, but rather you call all three and a half years the tribulation, or rather you call only one and a half, whatever, is up for debate. As long as you understand we've got to live to three and a half if we stay alive the whole time. So don't let it confuse you about saying after the tribulation comes the sixth seal. 
Because when we see that sixth seal, we can't just say, uh, well, that's it. There's nothing else going to happen. Because you still got the seventh seal. And the seventh seal has seven trumpets. So you got to go through every bit of it if we're alive. Right, verse 30. And then shall the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then, so you got two things happen here. The sign appears, and then you've got another event. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So here is the gathering of the saints, and it happens at a trumpet. What trumpet does it happen at? In this particular case, in New American Standard, it says a great trumpet. So it's not just any of them, but it's a great trumpet. And what greater trumpet would there be other than the last trumpet of 1 Corinthians 15, 52, the one in which we are changed in a twinkling of the eye, the one in which that we cast off this mortal into our own immortality. That is a great trumpet. It is the trumpet that shall raise the dead. Amen? That is a great trumpet. So it's talking about that last trumpet, the seventh trumpet, the, the trumpet of completion. You've got seven seals and then seven trumpets. And that last trumpet completes the time frame for the saints of God of their trial and tribulation. You can make it in by the time of the seventh trumpet. And we are gathered together. Who is gathered together? Those that died and those that are still alive, that we should meet them in the air, right? So that's the gathering of the two groups of saints together, those that were asleep and those that are alive, we are gathered together, uh, his elect, from four winds from one end of the sky to the other. People use that, that it says one end of the sky to the other. They say, see, that means that we're already in heaven. He's gathering the people from all over heaven together, which is silly, because if you're already in heaven, why do they have to be gathered to go to heaven? If they're already there. So it's just silly the things that they claim. So it's talking about from north to south to east to west that from as far as the sky reaches, from one end of the earth to as far as the sky reaches to the other end of the earth, that we're all going to be caught up to the sky. So that's why it mentions the sky, that people in the Middle East will be being lifted up in the sky. The people in Africa will be lifted up to the sky. The people in America, Russia, China, the Arctic, the Antarctic, all these people should be lifted up in the sky. So from the four winds all the way around the earth, in every direction, the people are gathered together. They call up together if they are ready for the first resurrection. Okay? Now, notice it does not say here that he lands on the earth on that day. He's just gathering us to the sky. So he does not actually land on the earth on that 
particular day. Because people will try to insert that and say that this is when he is actually coming down to the earth and actually lands on the earth. He may actually, by the description of 1 Thessalonians 4, and by this description, it sounds like there's a possibility that he may meet us halfway. That he may be coming down. It says the Lord himself shall descend with a shout. So it definitely does teach that he is coming down to meet us and we're going up to meet him. But then he takes us back into the fullness of heaven. He doesn't come all the way down. He doesn't land that day. Because once he comes back, then that would be Zechariah 14. He shall land on the Mount of Olives. And why would we be gathered to heaven if he's landing? Because we were just missing. We were just, oops, I thought you'd be home. But he's coming down, right? So he cannot land on that day, even though the churches of Babylon teach that he is going to land that day in this verse. But how is that possible? We would be going up there and find him not home. So, now, let's go to Revelation 8. And let's really take some time in the book of Revelation and study this out. Revelation 8. Verse 1. God willing, let's read as much as we can. I'm burning up. Ah. Revelation 8, verse 1. When the Lamb, Jesus Christ, broke the seventh seal out of your, that's the last seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. People debate, what is half an hour? Does that mean three and a half years? Does that mean seven years? Does that mean a uh, hundred years, a thousand years, one minute, two minutes? Well, let's just say it like this. Last time I looked on the clock, a half an hour is 30 minutes. And that's exactly what it means here. That is a literal phrase there. This don't have to be interpreted in this particular case. It's exactly what it says. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which is before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. So if you want to make an altar of fire to God, this is the way you do it with a piece of trumpet. Is you sin, you deposit, your prayers in the angels' incense in heaven. You say your prayers for the Feast of Trumpets. 
when you say your prayers for the Day of Atonement, when you say your prayers for the Feast of Tabernacles, and when you say your prayers for judgment to come upon the wicked, then these prayers are being added to the incense in heaven. This is your offering made by fire. Amen. Wow. Praise God. Verse 4. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. The fire is getting thrown down onto the earth here. Then the seventh seal is woken. And there followed pearls of thunder and sounds and flashing, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So when that seventh seal woken, there's going to be a great earthquake. And we don't say great here, great here. But don't you think it's going to be great if it's the wolfing of the, of the last seal and when fire is being thrown down from heaven and when everything is close to the end of this age? I don't think this is a, a 2.0. You know? Verse 6. And the seven angels who had the seven thunders, uh, trumpets, sorry, seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Then the first sounded, so this is the first trumpet. And there came fire, I mean hail and fire, mixed with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. So when this seventh seal is open and the first trumpet blows, there's going to be blood coming down out of the sky. So why are there people saying that the seventh seal has already been open? They need to read the Bible. Now, is this a meteor? Is this a comet? Is this an asteroid? Well, the last time I checked, there is the meteors, comets, and asteroids are not made out of blood. So this is not your normal scientific explanation. There is no scientific explanation for this. It is not your typical asteroid, comet, or meteor. This is a supernatural event. And this fire and hail is not coming from Mars or from Halley's Comet or from Pluto or from asteroid number 459 if that even exists. It is coming from the altar of God. This is a supernatural event. Amen. And it says, And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. I think there may be some poor translation among this because we hear about these things being repeated in different trumpets and so forth. So you just have to read it the way it reads and we'll see how it is fulfilled. Verse 8. The second angel sounded. Here's the second trumpet. And something like a great, something like a great mountain. It's not actually a mountain. Something like a great mountain, burning with fire, 
was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Is this a comet, asteroid, or meteor? No. Again, there's blood. And it is a supernatural event that is coming from heaven. It's not coming from another galaxy or another solar system or anything scientific. This is a supernatural event where it is an angel himself casting it down. So it's not coming from a scientific thing. It is coming from the hand of God's angels. It says a third of the creatures which were in the sea and that had life died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Verse 10. The third angel sounded, the third trumpet. And a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the streams of waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the waters because they were bitter. The fourth angel sounded. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars were struck. Does that mean that literally a third of the sun and a third of the moon? That No, it don't make sense. This is talking about a third of the day and a third of the night. Uh, and even the stars is like a third of the sky. So there's like, maybe this is like a 33% of the earth that is overcast for one reason or another. So that a third of them would be darkened for a uh, would be darkened and the day would not shine for a third of it and the night in the same way. So what is a third of a 12-hour day is what? Four hours. So it's dark four hours of the daytime and four hours of the nighttime, but you can't see the sun, the moon, or the stars for four hours of the day and four hours of the night. Verse 13. So, I mean, we can tell when this happened. Amen? Verse 13, then I looked and heard a, uh, heard an eagle flying in the mid-heaven, saying with a loud voice, woe, woe, woe. We call that the three woes. And that is talking about that there's three trumpets left. That's what that's referring to. There's three trumpets left. So your last three trumpets are each one called woes. Now, this eagle, it's very important that we are reading from New American Standard Bible because King James says angel. It was an angel in all these previous trumpets. But this time, he, and there is an angel uh, in verse 12, but here is an eagle in verse 13. If you look at the Greek, it will tell you that it is a bird that John sees in this vision of the future. Now, perhaps it is an angel, but whether it's an angel or not, he sees a bird. Now, that Greek word is hard to translate, whether it's an eagle or um, one a different species of bird, but we know that 
he sees a bird in this vision of the future. And we know we know in the other verses in the Bible that Ezekiel and John saw the angels with the face of a, of a man, of a cow, of a lion, so on, these animal characteristics. So just because it says eagle doesn't mean it's not an angel. It most likely is an angel, but it has the appearance of an eagle to be a symbol of something. Okay, there's, there's a, some kind of a symbol associated with that angel. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about the sound. Chapter 9, verse 1, continues. Remember, there was no chapter division in the original Bibles. That did not exist until around 1590. So, these chapter divisions was not originally there. Neither was the verse numbers. Chapter 9, verse 1, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. Now, these stars that fall uh, in verse 10 and uh, well, uh, chapter 8, verse 10, a great star fell from heaven, and chapter 9, verse 1, are probably talking about demons because the Bible talks about stars being angels. Of course, not every star is an angel, but angels are sometimes represented as eagles, calves, so forth. Angels are represented as, as looking like animals. And other times, angels are represented by the symbol of a star. Wow. Angels are represented by a symbol of a star. You remember in Revelation 2 uh, or verse 1 or chapter 1 or chapter 2 of Revelation where John sees the seven candlesticks and he sees the seven stars. And he said, these stars are the angels. Now, the star which people call, God just gave this to me. Thank you, God. That the people call that star of David. And we know that is an agent, a Syrian star, symbol for the son of tradition, symbol for the shah of Saud. So that star represents a demon, a fallen angel. Stars represent angels, whether they be good angels or bad angels. So that particular so-called star of David represents the fallen angel of the Saul. The people in the Middle East, Arab-speaking people, actually know the name of Assad is the name of an angel. For thousands of years, the fortune tellers in the Middle East have called upon a name of an angel named Assad in their seances and tarot card so forth. They know that name as being the name of an angel. So here is an angel. I know that's what this verse is talking about, chapter 9, verse 1. I saw a star or angel from heaven which had fallen. Now again, it's good that we're using New American Standard because King James makes it sound like he actually falls at that particular day. But New American makes it clear, and if you look at the Greek, it is past tense. Had fallen. He had already fallen before this. 
is telling you this star is a fallen star. It had already fallen to the earth. Even as Jesus said, I saw Lucifer fall from the, from the sky. So this is talking about Assad, how that he had fallen from the sky previously to the earth. And it says, key of the bottomless pit was given to him. And um, he woke in the bottomless pit, smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth. These are helicopters. As we keep reading, I will explain to you how we know 100% for sure that they are helicopters. Out of the smoke came helicopters, and this pit is is already well known, well documented that um, China and other places have these pits dug in the ground where they hide their helicopters. That is documented. So um, I believe that Assad has that same thing. So then smoke comes out. Uh, uh, came. Locusts upon the earth, and power is given them. Now, John lived approximately 2,000 years ago. He had never seen a helicopter or airplane in his whole entire life. Never even thought of such a thing. So when he sees this vision of something 2,000 years in the future, it's like Star Trek to him. You know? So... He calls this helicopter a scorpion, I mean a locust, because it is what he can relate to. And power is given to them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And they were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. All right, now, see now, there's grass here. Chapter 8, verse 7, that... All the grass is burned up. Well, evidently not. See, that's, that's what I was saying earlier about translations. I don't think the translations get this right. Because there's still green grass here later. So I'm making a note in 8, verse 7, chapter 8, verse 7, is not all green grass burnt up. Now, I'm thinking it's probably a third of the green grass. Uh, I think that would be a better translation. Going back to chapter 9, verse 4, he's saying don't hurt the grass or any green thing, so there's still green grass left. They were told to not hurt the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only the men, hurt only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. This is not a physical thing that you're going to literally see on their forehead, but rather it is a symbol of the Holy Spirit and the name of Jesus Christ. Verse 5, and they were not permitted to hurt anyone, but to torment for, not to kill anyone, but to torment only for five months. Now, some people have a ridiculous doctrine trying to claim that this proves, they claim, that the great tribulation is going to be shortened to where it's only going to the Great Tribulation for only five months. Three and a half years, not seven years, not one year, but only five months. Because they 
they point to Matthew 24 to where it says that for the um, elect sake that the days will be short. So they say, see, that means the great tribulation will be shorter. But and then they point to this saying it's going to be five months. Well, that's absolutely insane because if you claim that, then you've got to completely do away with the sixth. You've got to do away with the fifth seal, the sixth seal, and then the first trumpet, the second trumpet, the third trumpet, the fourth trumpet, and then just jump through those seals and through those trumpets and come to the fifth trumpet. And if that was true, why does it call it the fifth angel? If the first four are not even going to blow, just send them back home, forget it, you know, your assignments are canceled. It's insane. Okay. I get home myself here. <laughs> it really angers me. Yeah, it does because it angers God. If the word of God and the scriptures say it's 1260 days, another place, 42 months. If we say it's only five months, then we make a lie out of the scriptures and we might just start ripping pages out. But we know we can't do that. All right, so continuing here. This particular event happens five months. They torment, and they don't kill people. They torment. So what's happening here, it is chemical warfare or biological or chemical warfare. Now, Chemical and biological warfare can kill people, but this particular chemical will only torment and not kill. And it says their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. Well, that's very important it says that because this was written approximately 2,000 years ago in the time when the Greek language was very prominent and the Roman Empire was in empire. And so in everybody's mind, that originally read this, the first people that would read this for the first hundred years, everybody that read this for the first hundred years after it was written, they knew Greek mythology like it was the back of their hand. They knew Greek mythology. And they knew a scorpion in their Greek mythology and about a stinging of a man. When they read this, they knew exactly that it was talking about uh, some kind of a hunter. It's been a long time since I've read this. It's been a long time since I've shared this. I've shared it many times. But Bashar Assad, in his military career, was called uh, something about a hunter, or it was a name. It was a name or something. It's on the website. Um, and I believe it's on the article about some tradition revealed maybe. And so there's a connection between what they actually called him in his military career. It was an orient, something like that. They called him they called him the something hunter, which they knew as the Orient. And then in the connection with the Orient they had that story about the scorpion singing man. So even though this don't all make sense because I can't remember it all, they when they read this it made sense that it was connection to Greek mythology about a hunter. 
which is related to Assad. So this connects Assad. And we know that Assad is famous for his chemical weapons, you see. And we know Assad is the name of an angel. So once we know that Assad is the name of an angel, he's known for his chemical weapons, and that his military uh, nickname is related to the scorpion that stings a man. This identifies who this fallen angel is. Verse 6. And in those days, men would seek death and would not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. Now that is supernatural. God is not going to allow people for a certain period of time, for those five months, not allow them to die from this chemical or biological warfare. Verse 7. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. And their faces were like the faces of men. Now some of this I don't understand because it's hard to go back 2,000 years and imagine perfectly his description of something we know today. And to be honest with you, I don't know military helicopters good enough myself. There's all kinds of different models, sizes, shapes, uh, so on. Be interesting to look at Syrian or Russian uh, helicopters, uh, military helicopters. But the faces of the faces of men means that he can see the man in the helicopter. Verse eight: They had hair like the hair of women, and the teeth like the teeth of lions. Some people say this hair of women could be referring to antennas, because some of those military helicopters have a lot of antennas. Um, especially certain kinds of them that are for special missions uh, have more antennas. That's just a possibility. And it could also be painting. They paint some of these helicopters. <laughs> the teeth like the teeth of lines. That could be a symbol as far as the teeth. Remember, this is a vision, and there's a lot of symbolism in it as well, like the scorpion uh, and the locusts. Verse 9, they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron. So is it really a giant bug in the sky made halfway out of iron? I don't think so. So breastplate of iron shows, yes, it is made of iron. And the sound of, the, of their wings was like the sound of chariots. And many horses rushed to battle, so they have a very loud sound. Verse 10, they have tails like scorpions and stings in their tails. Is there a power to hurt men for five months? We know that helicopters have the long, narrow tail to the helicopter like a scorpion. Stings in their tails is the nozzle that you can actually see on these helicopters. So that is the sting in their tails. The nozzle to spray the chemical or biological weapons. And it has power for five months. They have a king over them. So this relates to the kings of Book of Revelation. Um, what is it? Chapter, uh, whatever chapter that is, where it has the seven kings, and then there's the eighth, and the eighth is one of the seven. 
So that is, it relates to kings. These helicopters, the military has a king over them. The angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in the Greek, he has the name Apollon. Now, this Abaddon or Apollon, which is two different languages, but for the same angel. Now, if you study uh, about mythology, about the Greek, the Egyptian, uh, Babylonian, different, uh, different ages and different uh, belief systems, different cultures, they were still talking about the same fallen angels. But each one gave them a different name. And this is completely documented that Apollon and Abaddon are the same fallen angel, different names, different cultures, different languages, was also known as Orion, also known as Horus, also known as Tammuz, or Tammuz, however it's pronounced, Tammuz, Tammuz. They're all the same with different names. So Horus was bitten by a scorpion. And Horus is the hunter, who is also named Orion, which is Asad. So all these names are names for Asad. Now notice Asad starts with an A, Abalin, Abaddon starts with an A, Apollo starts with an A, uh, Allah starts with an A, the Apollon space mission starts with an A, the, the moon uh, travels and stuff like that, moon worship, Allah, is all connected. Uh, he's trying to be the Alpha, is what he is trying to do, the Alpha and the Omega. And the A's continue on. There's a big list of all the different A's that he goes by. Verse 13, the sixth angel sounded. Now we're getting close to the catching up. Sixth angel sounded the sixth trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. The four horns meaning four corners. On each corner of the altar would be something you could grab onto. Um, and uh, for those four corners or horns of the golden altar, which is before God, and one saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Ephrates. So this is something that happens in the Middle East. And the four angels who had been prepared for an hour, a day, and a month, and a year, and that's little. So here you got 12, 13 months, and a day and an hour that these four angels had been waiting to be released. So they are released, and so they would kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies of the horsemen were 200 million. Now that might be little, and it might not be. It might be... Uh, a phrase, when you look in the Greek, it possibly, I'm not saying 100% for sure, 
but there's a high possibility that in the Greek it's actually referring to a huge number. Okay, just a, a gigantic, massive, huge number of soldiers rather than being an actual little 200 million. You just have to study that out for yourself. It really don't matter whether it's literal or whether it's a massive army. It really don't matter. Verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses, those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of uh, hyacinth and of brimstone, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Again, this is just a vision. They have symbols. And out of the mouth proceeded fire, smoke, and brimstone. And a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues. By these three things, a third of the man is killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouth of these armies, which is a spiritual representation of what they're doing. Verse 19, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for the tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. So I imagine this is probably talking about more helicopters and airplanes and tanks and all the military hardware of today. Verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So that as to not worship demons, so in other words, these armies, these soldiers, and the people on the earth, when they're worshiping Assad, when they're worshiping Francis and Benedict, they're worshiping demons. This, again, is proof that those three men are demons. They're fallen angels because the people are not repenting of worshiping demons. Do they know they're worshiping demons? No, because if they knew that, they might would repent. But they don't know that, and they don't repent of worshiping Assad, Francis, the Trinity. That is the Trinity. It's not a counterfeit Trinity. It's not a fake Trinity. They are the Trinity, because there is no such thing as the Trinity in God. The Trinity is Assad, Francis, and Benedict. And I'm, I'm on purpose not calling him Pope because that is the word that means father. And I don't want to call them father. Sometimes I have to call them Pope so that make it very clear who I'm talking about. But I definitely do not call them father. People don't repent of the worship of these demons. And it says the idols of gold and silver and the brass of stone and wood so they don't repent of worshiping money, coins, Gold, silver, brass, stone, wood. That sounds like the Catholic Church to me, and also like Islam, how they worship the black stone of Mecca. And it says, which cannot see or hear or walk. But they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. So all these different sins. Now, the very fact that it says they did not repent means that they could repent. Because Babylon, a lot of Babylon, the majority of Babylon teaches that okay, that there's a preacher of rapture and that all the people left behind, that they can not get saved during that time, which is absolutely.
absolutely blessed. Now, not all of them teach that, but a great majority teaches that they can't even get saved. It's too late for them. And so here it says they did not repent, which shows that it was possible. They could have repented, which also means that you can that you can repent of taking the mark of the beast. Because don't these people have the mark of the beast? It doesn't say it in these verses. But if they're following demons, they're worshiping demons, they're uh, part of the new world order, they're following the Antichrist, if that's what you want to call them, son of perdition, rather. They're following the son of perdition. They're following the false prophet. They've got the mark of the beast. Amen? They could have repented. They could have got saved. This is total proof that you can repent of the mark of the beast because it's not a microchip. It's not like you've got to take a knife and cut your hand off. It's not like that. It's not a microchip. It's not a credit card. Nobody has ever been beheaded, ever has or ever will be beheaded for refusing a microchip or a credit card. It is in your mind. It is in your works. It's in who you worship and how you worship. Whether you're worshiping God or whether you're worshiping demons. That is what the mark of the beast is about. And the physical counterpart of buying and selling is Sharia law about having all the products and services across the world uh, marked with the halal mark because they actually call it a mark. We know that Sharia law is taking over the world. So we know that Sharia law involves banking. We know that Sharia law is taking over America, that there's already Sharia law courts and Sharia law banks, that even Obama has been supporting Sharia law uh, financial uh, stuff up in uh, Washington State. They've got Sharia law finances and insurance already instated. So see, the mark of the beast is already taking over the buying and selling. So the mark of the beast is Islam, and the physical counterpart of what you do with your hands, buying and selling and compromising with demons by buying their products that is marked with the sign of the devil. So that's what it is. Right? So they don't repent of these things. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now remember, this is the sixth trumpet that just blew. We got one trumpet left. We are caught up at that trumpet. We're waiting for that. Chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun. Well, who is this? And his feet like pillows of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was woken. He placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the hand. Well, this is not Jesus because he's not. Jesus cannot put his foot on the earth yet. It sounded like Jesus because the rainbow. It must, you know, he must spend a lot of time with Jesus. He has reflection of Jesus. but because he's got his right, unless this is a symbol somehow, but let's just keep reading. Uh, he placed his right foot on the sea and the left on the land 
and cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars, and when he had cried out, the seven pearls of thunder altered their voices. Some people are actually writing on the Internet what these seven trumpets are saying, which is absolutely impossible. Verse 4. When the seven pearls of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven pearls of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. So it's impossible for anybody to know what those seven pearls of thunder are saying, even at that day and time, because he is not allowed to write it down. Uh, well, maybe at that day and time, maybe somebody might know, but Verse 5, then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and things in it and the sea and things in it, but that, that, that there would be uh, no longer any delay. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, which is not sounded yet, but when he is about to sound, then the ministry of God is finished. And he pre uh, as he preached to his servants the prophets. So then, verse 8, then the voice which I heard from heaven I heard again speaking with me and saying, uh, Go take the book which is woken in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and in my mouth it was sweet as honey. Of course, all this is symbols. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again, turning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Right? So I don't believe this is an angel in verse chapter 10. I don't believe this angel is Jesus at all. In fact, I know it's not now. God is not an angel. Jesus is not an angel. So this is not Jesus. So it was confusing when it said the rainbow and the face like sun, uh, but it plainly says this is an angel. Now, the, the study note in my Bible here says many commentators believe this to be Jesus, but the Greek word translated uh, another means one of the same kind, that is, a created being, which I agree because Jesus is not an angel. And it says here in 10, verse 1, another strong angel. So if you've got angel after angel after angel blowing, and it says another angel, then you know it's one of the same kind. And that's what it was saying about the Greek. It refers to another of the same kind. It's not a different uh, type. So it's an angel. All right, chapter 11, verse 1. We still don't have that seventh angel blowing yet. Chapter 11, verse 1. Then it was given to me a measuring rod like a staff. And someone said, Get up and measure the temple of God and the altar 
and those who worship in it. Of course, this is a verse that people use for pre-trib rapture. Well, verse 1 is a catching up, and people don't even know that. Babylon don't even know that or teach that. That word rise there, or get up, in New American Standard, get up. King James says rise. The Greek word for get up or rise, verse 1 there, means to rise from the dead, to be resurrected. Now, that particular Greek word doesn't always mean that. Sometimes it just means getting up out of your chair. It's determined, the meaning of that Greek word is determined by the context. And if it's in the right context, it means being resurrected from the dead. Considering that the context is the seconds, the moments, the hours, the final hours that we're waiting for that last trumpet to blow, then John is told to rise, to get up, and measure the temple of God. And verse uh, 19, verse 19 says, the temple of God which is in heaven. So, he's saying to, he's being told to rise from the dead. He's hearing that great shout. He's hearing that trumpet. That seventh trumpet is being blown here in chapter 11, verse 1, even though it doesn't say that because we're going to read about it. You can't put everything in one verse, right? So you have to keep reading. Then you will know that, yes, it blew in verse 1. They tell to be resurrected and measure the temple of God, which is in heaven, and those that worship therein. Who are those that worship therein? That's not the Jews worshiping on the temple. That's not the Jews worshiping in the temple of Antichrist. But rather, it is the saints of God Worshiping in heaven. He is being told to measure the temple of God in heaven and to number the people who are, have been called up to the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. That says, uh, and those who worship in verse 2, leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, and they will tread underfoot the holy city 42 nights. So verse 2 is on earth. Verse 1 is in heaven. Verse 2 is on earth. Now, verse 2 backs up. That's the way the book of Revelation reads. It tells you about it. It, it, it goes with the story flow in order, and then it stops. Notice how chapter 10 just stops and meditated, it was like a, a hurricane that just, uh, uh, what's that word? Help me out. The hurricane just uh, stalls. So chapter 10 just stalls. And then it turns around and backs up all the way back to the beginning of the 42 months that for the entire 42 months, on the earth, on the ground, on the Temple Mount, in Jerusalem, it is invaded. 
It says tread underfoot. That's a military term that talks about a military occupation. This is solid proof that Israel will be invaded. You take that, you compare it with Ezekiel 38, compare it with Matthew 24, so on, so on. You know that Israel will be invaded. Praise God that God would never allow Israel to be wiped off the map, but he will allow them to be invaded because of their judgment. And all of us are susceptible to judgment regardless of what tribe we're from. But he doesn't measure the court because the word court there in Greek means a place on the land with no wall. There's no... uh, well, there might be like one wall, might be like a, 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 the a welling wall, but there's no building. There's no like actual really temple there. When you study that word court, there's not actually a temple there. Uh, it says, uh, which is out court, which is outside the temple. King James says, uh, without the temple. So with these people who believe in King James only, and they believe there's going to be a temple, why don't you point out the verse that says, without a temple? Without a temple. Okay? Without the temple. And but leave out the court, which is outside the temple. Uh, and people say, well, outside the temple, there must be a temple. Well, there's a temple in heaven. King James says, without of temple. So, and do not measure it for this courtyard. That temple mount has been given to the Gentiles. King James says Gentiles. New Americans says nations. And they were tread underfoot the holy city for how long? Seven years? No. Five months? No. Forty-two months. And I will grant authority, verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and people say these are two companies. People say it's two groups. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says that it's two groups or two companies. So we can't add to it and say it's two companies or two groups. It is two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1260 days. That's the same time frame. Babylon tries to add the two together. It tries to add 1260 in that verse to the 42 months in the previous verse and come out to seven years. Well, where does it say Adam together? It don't say that, so we shouldn't do it. It's the same 42 months. Verse 4, these two witnesses, these are the two olive trees, which we know is a symbol, and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, far flows out of the mouth, which is a symbol for the word of God. Bar comes out of the mouth. They're speaking the word of God with fire, with authority, and it devours their enemies. So that if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. So people will be actually literally killed with the word of God that comes out of the mouth of these two witnesses. We know it's the word of God because we compared verse 5 here, compared to Jeremiah 5.14. And you can read that later at home, but you compare verse 5 to Jeremiah 5.14, and you are no for sure without any doubt that it's the word of God coming out of their mouth. Verse 6, these have the power 
to shut up the sky so that rain would not fall during the days of the prophesying. And they had power over the waters to turn them into blood. It's kind of like Moses. So Moses was a human being. This is not talking about angels here. This is talking about human beings who have been given power in the end times. These are prophets of God to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague as often as they desire. It doesn't say here that they have to pray six months before they do it. They do it as often as they desire. They've been granted power, dominion, authority, that if they think it's necessary, do it. Time is of the essence. And we should be more like that. I believe people should pray. But I also believe we need to get on that bicycle and get to work and just do it. Verse 7. When they have finished their testimony, this verse proves that it's not any shorter than 1,260 days. They're actually going to finish their 1,260 days. Solid proof that it won't be any less than those 1,260 days. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that come up out of the abyss, talking about that fallen angel that we just read about that does the chemical biological warfare, king of the locusts, uh, that word beast there, if you was to read it in Arabic, would be uh, Assad. So, again, it's proof that it was the president of Syria, like Dates Bible study Bible, uh, said, and that man died before Assad was even in power. So he never knew his name, but he knew from reading the scriptures, even though he was a man of Babylon, and he had, he believed in the Trinity, he believed in preacher, rapture, all of that, but from reading the scripture, it was so clear in scripture to him that even being part of Babylon, it was clear that the son of perdition would be from Syria. And so the beast that comes out of the abyss will make war with these two witnesses, make war with them and overcome them, and will kill them, which proves that they're not angels. Verse 8, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which is mystically called Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified. Where was the Lord crucified? Jerusalem. So this is not America. This is not Egypt. This is not Sodom and Gomorrah. These are spiritual terms, meaning that Jerusalem, where the Lord was crucified, is sinful. That's all that means, is that Jerusalem has become like a Sodom and Gomorrah, that Jerusalem has become like an Egypt of bondage to the people of Israel. That is a sinful place. Now, this also proves that it's not two great companies, that it's not two, some people say the two witnesses is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, the New Testament and the Old Testament. But how can the Old Testament and New Covenant uh, lay in the street dead for three and a half days? You see, that proves that doctrine. And how can it be the entire church? Some people, a lot of people think it's the entire church, that we're all the two witnesses. Well, how can the entire church lay in one street in Jerusalem. I know a lot of people are going to be killed, but how can the whole church lay in a street in Jerusalem? So it's talking about, I don't see how much more simple it can get 
It's two men, two end-time prophets. We probably won't know who they are until those 1,260 days begin. Most likely we won't know until that time begins who, uh, their identity. Verse 9, those who uh, the peoples and the tribes and the tongues and the nations will look at their dead bodies for three and a half days, literal, and will not permit their dead bodies to be laid in a tomb. So this sounds like Muslims to me, the way they act. Verse 10, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them that they were killed. That's the atmosphere we're living in today. And they would celebrate and they would give gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. That sounds like, uh, it, some people say this is at Christmas. Well, it don't have to be at Christmas because we know that these two witnesses are going to be preaching against Christmas. We know that because if we truly know Jesus Christ and we know his word, we know the scriptures, We've come out of Babylon. We've come out of the traditions, the false traditions, Babylonian traditions of man. We know that these two prophets, they have power to shut up heaven and it won't rain on the earth whenever they want, turn water to blood. You think they're not preaching against Christmas? We know they'll be preaching against Christmas. So when they are martyred, everybody's going to be like, yay, these people that said we shouldn't be doing Christmas they're dead, so let's have Christmas in July. Let's have Christmas in whatever month it is. So it don't have to be Christmas. They're just so excited that they think they won. Just like the gay people right now, they think they won. They're so excited and happy that a woman's in jail for her religious beliefs. Excited. This is the time that we live in time that we live in. Verse 11. But after the three and a half days, which is a little three and a half days, but it's also a symbol of the three and a half years that we're going to be going through the tribulation. But it's a little three and a half days. And after three and a half days, the breath of life is also a symbol for how long Jesus was dead. These two witnesses are dead for three and a half days, and then they rise from the dead. Jesus was dead for three and a half days. Now, Jesus was in the grave, in the tomb, for 72 hours, exactly, down to the second. Jesus was in the tomb three days and three nights. But he was dead before he went into the tomb, was he not? So he was dead for an additional 12 hours before he went into the tomb. A lot of people, all of Babylon teaches, he was dead for only three hours before he went into the tomb. That's impossible because he was there on the cross. They had to get him down before sundown. And then they had to pickle his body. You know, They had to cover him in spices and cloths and everything, and pray over him, and do all the rituals, and everything, and they would not have just slabbed on, I think it said 100 pounds of spices, just slabbed it on, slapped them like a piece of meat, and throw them in the ground. 
It was their Lord and Savior that they loved and cherished and worshipped like God because he was God. They worshipped him. Oh, you're just going to slab him within three hours and throw him in the grave and act like it's nothing, like a stranger. I don't think so. It took 12 hours from the time he died for him to get into the tomb to lovingly and purely, uh, lovingly and with pure and gentleness to preserve his body even though he didn't need it and so forth. I encourage you to check out the article on the website, I Saw the Light Ministries, about the time Jesus died and the time that he went into the grave and what time he rose from the grave. So he was there three and a half days. Uh, 72 plus 12, 84 hours that he was dead. And then he rose from the grave. So they're dead, 80, what I say, 84, 82 hours, something like that. Then they rise from the grave. Verse 12. Go back to verse 11. Verse 11, and after three and a half days, the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet. Now this is at the exact moment that John, in verse 1, is told to rise. This is the same time when these two witnesses, because John's dead, and these two witnesses are dead. So John and these two witnesses are the dead in Christ. And they, John, and these two witnesses rise at the same time. See, God's just giving this to me. And the breath of life from God came into them, and they stood on their feet. Great fear fell upon those who were watching them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, this is a great shout that we read about, a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, come up here. Notice Christ is not coming down here. Now, he might come down and meet us halfway, but he's not landing. He's saying, come, or the angel somebody saying, come up here. And they went up. John did. You did. I did. All those, God willing, those that rose in the first resurrection, they rose up to be with God in this verse. Amen. Be wonderful during the millennium. Now in this past tense, that day we rose up to be with God. That day I sat down at the table and and when I saw that huge steak and that huge salad and that, oh, the best thousand island I ever dressed, <laughs> it didn't have no chemicals in it. Homemade everything. The angels prepared. Wow, it's in the Bible too. So it'd be wonderful to talk about this in the past tense one of these days. And they heard a loud voice from heaven, verse 12, come up here, and they went up into heaven. Go see, their ears are catching up. Went up into heaven in the cloud. Remember Matthew 24 talks about the cloud. 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about the cloud. And their enemies watched them, left behind. Verse 13, and in that hour there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell 
7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. 7,000 people. 7,000. It says in Greek here that the names of people, the 7,000 people, were killed in the earthquake. It's interesting how it says in Greek, names of people. It's like their names are already, their names is already known. Who's going to die in the earthquake? Uh, and it says, and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. And notice they don't say it's the gods, but to the God of heaven. Verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Then the seventh angel sounded. Now, did verse 11 through 14 happen before that seventh angel sound? No. Verse 11 through 14 did not happen before the seventh angel sounded. You can't have, uh, didn't it say in 1 Thessalonians 4 that the dead in Christ, or no, those are alive for not perceived them, however it was worded anyway. We know that we don't rise out of order. We don't rise like days before the other person or anything like that. We're all going to rise at the same time. One trumpet, right? We don't rise. Nobody rises before the trumpet. So like I said earlier, you can't fit everything in one verse. So it has to tell you a little bit at a time, right? So. Verse 1 is when John is rising. Verse 11 is when the two witnesses are rising. But they all happen at the same time, and they all happen in verse 15. They all rise in verse 15. The seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. Remember the great shout saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We gave you thanks, O Lord God, O the Almighty, who are, who were, because you have taken the great power and have begun to reign, and the nations were enraged, and your wrath has come. Here is when the wrath comes. The wrath does not come until this moment. The wrath starts at the blowing of the seventh trumpet. That seventh trumpet, which the day of trumpets pictures, is both good and bad. It's when the saints who are ready, and only those that are ready, even if we're saints, will rise, and yet the wicked will receive the wrath of God. So it's bittersweet. Like honey, that can also make us sick. Because while we're up there for the marriage supper of the Lamb of God, the wrath of God is being poured out upon the unrepentant. The wrath has come. The wrath came. It didn't come until this moment. Some people teach that the wrath comes a whole year before that. Impossible. Some people teach that the wrath comes 
have the opening of the sixth seal, which is impossible. And the reason they think it open, it happens at the sixth seal is because when you read about the sixth seal, it does say, thy wrath have come, or something like that. But it's just an announcement. The wrath itself is not actually literally poured out at that moment. It's just an announcement. But here is more than an announcement. It actually happened. It says, I last came and the time came for the dead to be judged. In other words, they're not judged yet. This is when the judgment begins. But they're not all judged on the same day because we know that it is a second resurrection. So the time for the dead to be judged and the time to reward, have they already got their reward? No. It doesn't happen until this, to the seventh trumpet, last trumpet. And for reward, if your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints of those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is heaven, was open, which means those heavenly gates are open for us to enter in to worship. Now, commentaries say that this is talking about the Day of Atonement. I don't know whether that's true or not, whether you have to wait and see. Commentaries say, and teachings say, and books say, that uh, this would be the Day of Atonement because it says that the Ark of the Covenant, it says here, the temple of God which is in heaven was open, the Ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and those flashes of lightning sounds and pearls of thunder and earthquake and a great, great hailstorm. Uh, let's see. It says here in the study note, publisher says, this piece of furniture in the Old Testament tabernacle and temple symbolizes God's presence and atonement covenant with his people. Uh, the earthly art was only a picture of the heavenly one. It was there that God provided mercy and atonement for sin. So there's a theme of atonement uh, there. So it could be the day of atonement. It may not be because God can do whatever he wants to do. And there's not a law saying that God cannot walk in his own temple until that day of atonement comes. So we'll just have to wait and see whether it's the day of atonement or not. We cannot say with all certainty that it will be. But then chapter 12 starts talking about all the way back in the time of Joseph and Israel and the 12 brothers and uh, the birth of the nation of Israel and the birth of Jesus and then into the great tribulation. We're not going to read chapter 12. I just want to show you how the book of Revelation goes back and forth, back and forth. To stay with the timeline, we're going to jump to chapter 16. To stay with the timeline. Chapter 16 talks about the wrath of God being poured out while we're in heaven. Chapter 16, verse 1.
16, verse 1, I heard a loud voice from the temple. See? The temple in heaven. And saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the earth, on the earth, the seven bowls or the seven vials of the wrath of God. This does not happen until that seventh trumpet. Look here in, uh, in the previous chapter, verse 8. This even backed up. Let me see where I want to back up to. But I want y'all to be for sure about this. Verse 5. <laughs> Let's go chapter 15, verse 1. I know I'm very, very long-winded. I want you to know for sure that this is correct. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous seven angels who had the seven plagues of the wrath, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like the sea of glass, mixed with fire, and those who had the victory over us. The victory is ours, that is, over the beast. Victory over us all, victory over the beast, and his image, and over the number of his name standing on the sea of glass. So we, if we're caught up into heaven, are going to be standing on the sea of glass holding hearts of God. Wow. And they sung, we're going to sing in heaven. And they sung the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways. King, not kings, that king of the nations who will not fear, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name. For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you. Zechariah 14, all the nations will come up to Jerusalem from year to year at the Feast of Tabernacles to worship you. Zechariah 14. So it says here in verse 4, that all the nations will come and worship before you and your righteous acts have been revealed. Verse 5, and these things I looked in the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So that relates back to how we know that the wrath is being poured out while we're in heaven. Because 1119, the temple of God was woken in heaven at the seventh angel. And then 15, verse 5, after these things, I looked in the temple of the tabernacle testimony in heaven was woken, which was usually done only on the Day of Atonement, but could happen at any time. Uh, but God can do what he wants. Verse 6, and the seven angels who had the seven plagues came out of the temple clothed in linen, clean and bright, and, and girded around their chests with golden sashes. Then one of the four living creatures, those are angels, gave to the seven angels, uh, these four angels gave to the other seven angels, seven golden bowls or vows, four of the wrath of God. This shows the wrath of God has not been poured out yet because they're full. 
The bowls are full. The vows are full. So they have not been poured out before the seventh trumpet. Who lives, Rapha God, who lives forever and ever. Verse 8, and the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his pyre. And no one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were finished. So evidently, I understand corrected that we're not going to have the marriage supper in the temple itself because nobody can enter the temple until all seven plagues were poured out. We're going to be in heaven for the marriage supper, but not actually in the temple. The temple will be opened, it will be visible, but it's going to be full of smoke. And even though we're spirit, we're not going to be in that temple because no one was able to enter the temple or the sanctuary, it says in the uh, margin. So maybe we'll not be in the temple, but not in the sanctuary area. I don't know. So but there's definitely at least a area of the temple that we cannot enter, and maybe not even the temple itself, because how are you going to worship in the temple if you can't go in the sanctuary? So we may enter the temple, we may not. I don't understand, I admit. But sounds like that uh, we're definitely in heaven, but not in part of the temple, and maybe not in the temple at all, until the plagues are finished. All right, so here the plagues start getting poured out, chapter 16, verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying, or sanctuary, it says in margin, saying to the seven angels, go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. While we're in heaven, bulls are being poured out. Verse 2. So the first angel, here you got seven angels, whether it's the same seven angels of the trumpets or not, don't make no difference. The seven angels point out the seven plagues. All seven trumpets are done. But now you got the seven plagues. You got seven seals. Seven trumpets, seven plagues. Verse 2, so the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and it became a loathsome and uh, malignant sword on the people who had the mark of the beast and who had worshipped his image. And the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became blood like a dead man and never living thing, and the sea died. Spiritual things. Verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bow into the rivers and the spring of waters, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you who are and who were, O holy one, not holy three, the holy one, because you judge these things. In other words, they're worshiping God because of judgment. They're worshiping God because of wrath. They say, we don't want to do that today. People don't, I'm saying. But we should. They are worshiping God, O Holy One, because that you judge these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints. They're saying, you're, you're just to do this. You're righteous to do this. It's good to do this. They killed people. You're righteous to judge them, though. Verse 6, for they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. 
Wow. Verse 7, I heard the altar. I heard the altar saying, which means someone at the altar, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgment. The fourth angel poured out his bow upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Man was scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, Jesus, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent, which means they could have. They did not repent, so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bow on the throne of the beast, and his, and his kingdom became darkened, praise God, and they brought all their tongues because of pain, and they blasphemed the God of heaven, because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent, which means they could. They could have stopped worshiping the beast. Right then and there, they could have stopped. They could have said, okay, God, these sores, this punishment, this plague, this wrath, I repent. I change my mind. I will turn around. I will follow you now. They could, even though they got the mark of the beast. But they don't. If it was not possible for them to repent, it would not say this. But they did not repent, showing they could have of their deeds. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bow on the great river, the Aprites, and its water was dried up so that the way would be prepared for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet three beings two popes and a sod, three unclean spirits, demons. This is how we know that they are fallen angels and that there's three. This is the trinity of three spirits, three persons, uh, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are spirits of demons. They are spirits of demons. They're forming signs. The, great, the, the false prophets are forming signs. Let's go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief, which means he's not here on earth yet. And the people that talk about pre-trib rapture, they say that the pre-trib rapture is the time when he's coming like a thief. That's what they say. So, if they say, ask them, this is a good way to catch them, Okay? Ask the people that believe in preacher rapture. Is the verse that talks about Jesus coming like a thief, is that pre-trip? And they say yes. Right? Then you show them this verse. The whole I'm coming like a thief. He's not here on earth yet. And so how can this be talking about pre-trip when this is talking about the battle of Armageddon, the last day, the last day after the tribulation, and, and it's even the last plague. It's the seventh plague. It's the last thing that happened. And Jesus is not quite here yet, but he's going to be here any minute now. The whole am coming like a thief. Blessed is those, is the one who stays awake, keeps his clothes, 
spiritually. This is not physically. So that he will not walk about naked and men will not see his shame. He's talking spiritually. That you're not showing people sin. That sin is not covering you. That you are not covered in sin. And they gather them together to the place which is in Hebrew is called Harn Megiddo, which means uh, people armed with their military ammunition at the valley of Megiddo. This is the battle of Armageddon. Verse 17, And the seventh angel poured out his bow, the last one, upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. It is finished. Reminiscent of Jesus on the cross saying, It is finished. Verse 18. And there was flashes of lightning and sounds and pearls of thunder. And there was a great earthquake such as there had not been since man came upon the earth. This is the greatest earthquake in all of human history. All of human history. Think about the big earthquakes that happened in Indonesia and so forth. Wow. Great earthquake. Because why? Because Jesus is going to come land in the valley of Megiddo or the, the, the Mount of Olives should cleave in two. Great earthquakes such as there have not been since man came upon the earth. So great earthquake was it and so mighty. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine and of his fierce wrath. This is talking about uh, either Mecca or Rome or Istanbul, Turkey. Most likely, Rome. But the three biggest possibilities in order is Rome or Istanbul, the capital Turkey, or Mecca, Saudi Arabia. This is not talking about the United States. Even though the United States is controlled by the spirit of Babylon, even though the church is Babylon in another sense. But this is a literal, physical city. Verse 19, the city was split in three parts. This is not talking about a false church here, even though we know that the false church is Babylon too. But this is a little city. And how do I know this is not New York City? Because New York City is already destroyed years before this. How do I know that? Because God's revealed that to me. And not just me only, but to many, many, many other people all across the globe God has been giving dreams and visions to people talking about the destruction of New York City, talking about the destruction of San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, talking about the destruction of Florida, Texas, Louisiana, talking about the destruction of Atlanta, Colorado. America is going to be invaded, Ezekiel 38. So if I know that Ezekiel 38 talks about the invasion of Israel and that America is a tribe of Israel because not only the Jews only are Israelites, but all the 12 tribes scattered all across the globe because God promised that he would bless the descendants of Abraham 
like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the sea. Great, 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 great number. Much more than just the tribe of Judah, the Jews, but also the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim and Reuben and, and all the other tribes who control the gates of their enemies, which is only the United States and the British Commonwealth fit that description. So America is part of Israel, and America will be invaded. And I've had people come, uh, I mean, uh, had people to call me and write me in email and in letter in the postal mail all across the United States for years telling me about their dreams and their vision about the Russians coming in. And some people see the Chinese coming in because if you live on the West Coast, God will show you the Chinese coming in. If you live on the East Coast, God will show you the Russians coming in. So that's why some people see only one group according to where you live to what you're going to see with your eyes. Some people see the Iranians coming in and, and some Latinos coming in in this army because Cuba will be part of the invasion. And they will definitely have some people from Mexico and different nations. And Iran will be right here in the United States. Those Iranian ships, they will make good on their promise. And those Iranian ships will be in the Gulf of Mexico and off the Atlantic coast, just like they have promised. We're already getting surrounded, even as I speak. They said, uh, I saw in the news last night or this morning one, how that the Chinese warships, a whole fleet of Chinese military, was 12 miles off the coast of Alaska in United States water. And Obama said, oh, they've got rights to do it. They're just shipping. This is military warships. 12 miles from the coastline in American territorial waters. Also in the news was the Russian spy ship on the East Coast in the Georgia waters. Uh, I don't know if that was in territorial waters or what, but off the Georgia coastline. And they know, they know, they have no doubt, they know it's flying on the American-Russian submarine and especially the exact location this time. Now, that Russian spy ship has gone through there a few times before, but this time the specific location is so sensitive that it's different from the times before. They know it's there. They know why it's there. The Russians and Chinese have said publicly that they're going to invade the United States. They said that. We see them building their military. We see them advancing their jets. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just trying to tell you what is going to happen so that when it happens, you won't be shocked. You won't be surprised. You have a greater peace about yourself knowing that God revealed it ahead of time, that God is in control, and that God himself is going to bring them in. We cannot... Think of Russia and China as the enemy. They are the messengers of God, of God's judgment. It is God himself, Ezekiel 38 says, I will put a hook in their jaws and pull them in. God is bringing them. So we are not to fight back. You cannot win against 
Russia and China both coming in at the same time, and Iran, and Cuba, and so on, and so on, and so on. Look at Ezekiel 38, how there's a great multitude of nations, a great multitude of nations coming against Israel, including America and England. We cannot win. They're ganging up against us. It's a futile fight. Our weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're coming here as the hand of God to judge us, and we deserve it. We deserve everything that we get and more because God is too merciful. We deserve everything we get and more. So the point is, I know America is not Babylon, even though we're controlled by the spirit of Babylon like all nations are, because America is going to be destroyed and split in four sections before years before this. America will not exist even before this verse is fulfilled. Now, of course, there will still be remnants. There will still be some land. But God showed me a map in 2008. And I know God showed it to me because he's confirmed it over and over and over and over again. And I'm not kidding, and I'm not exaggerating how many times God has shown me, revealed this to me, how that he's going to cut all of Florida and all of Texas completely off. It will all be underwater. Arkansas, the entire state of Arkansas will be underwater. The entire state of Missouri will be underwater because it's going to be a great rupture in the earth all the way from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico. And the water will pull in from the Gulf of Mexico and the waters will pull in from the fountains of the deep of the, under the earth. And the water will pour in from the Great Lakes and there will be ocean land through Memphis. All of Memphis will be underwater. All of the New Madrid fault line will be underwater. So America will be split in two through there. Then there will be water throughout the other land. And of course, there will be nuclear warfare on Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. won't exist. The capital of America will cease to exist years before the Babylon falls. So that's my point. The reason I teach this is so that you understand that it is Rome or Istidu or, or Mecca. Why do I say there's a possibility of other when it's so clear it's Rome? Well, because Rome moved to Istidu. If you look at uh, the, the capital, uh, the history of the Roman Empire, it went to the western and the eastern leg, the two legs of the statue of Daniel, one on the west, one on the east. On the east side, it moved to Istibu and was uh, ruled by Constantine, who brought Christmas and Easter into the Babylonian church and so forth and all the other pagan things into uh, uh, what we call the church, which is Babylon, of course, spiritual Babylon, it's the woman that rides the church, which is also Islam, because the Eastern Roman Empire was centered in Turkey, Istibu, Constantine, Turkey, which was the uh, um, increasing of Islam. So Islam and the Catholic Church are two legs of the same woman. Islam and 
the Catholic Church both ride uh, Assad, and they ride uh, the beast, and they ride Rome, and they ride Istibu, and they ride Mecca. They're all part of the same thing. Now let's continue on here in verse 20. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. This is God coming down onto the earth. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And huge hailstones, about 100 pounds each, literally, came down from heaven upon men. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, because its plague was extremely severe. Amen. So that is what happens with the wrath of God all the way up to the battle of Armageddon. But now, let's read what happens at the same time. Revelation chapter 19. Let's turn to chapter 19, verse 1. In chapter 19, we're going to read, while these seven plagues are being poured out during their wrath, we're up in heaven for only 40 to 45 days. How do I get that? Daniel 12 says that the question was asked about how long shall it be till all these things are finished? And the answer was, from the time of the abomination of desolation, the offering taken away, whatever that is, because it's not Jewish, it's not Jewish sacrifices, because those things will not be allowed under Assad. He is Muslim. And he will not allow those Jewish sacrifices, nor a Jewish temple. So we've got to come out of the traditional doctrines of man. Right? So... But while we're up in the marriage supper of heaven, this is it, chapter 19, verse 1. And these things I heard, this is the seventh trumpet, we're called up, and after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude that's talking about people. The Greek word for multitude, I'm reading from New American Standard. King James says people, and the Greek word is talking about people, a great number of people in heaven saying, now, it says here, hallelujah, but that is man's translation that they have learned through tradition of people and all these pastors and all these women and all these women pastors and all these other people that have taught them. I'm just going to say it the way it is. They have taught them all their lives about how to translate this. And so that if you really, really study it out, it's hallelujah, L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-E-L-U-G-I-A-L-
correct translation. And I really encourage you to look at that article on the website. Those people that's never heard this before that need proof because you need proof. I don't want you to believe me. I want you to examine it and look at the proof that was laid out in the article on the website, I saw the light ministries.com. I saw the light ministries.com. Look for the article. What is the name of God? Is it Jesus? Is it Yahshua? Is it Yahweh? What is his name? Is it Jehovah? And look at that article. What is the name of God? And I know it's a long article, but it's extremely important. And I really encourage you to check out that article. And in that article, it will give you the proof, all the proof you can ask for, that it should be El Elugi, which means blessings and honor and praise, like the other verse says. All right, so it says, El Elugi, salvation and glory and power, belonging to our God. See, that coincides. Once they get the translation right, it coincides with the other verses. Because if you keep it as hallelujah, then there's no other verse, no other book of the Bible, no other chapter of the Bible to correspond with it. You always, always, always got to have another verse in another chapter and, or another book to back up your claim. So, glory and power and belong to God, verse 2, because his judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot, which is reading about that. About Babylon fallen. He has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Elogi, her smoke rose up, Babylon's smoke rose up forever and ever, and the twenty four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne, saying, Amen, Elogi. And a voice came from the throne saying, give, give praise to our God, all you bondservants. There's a voice that is encouraging worship. A voice saying, praise him. Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, and you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of many pearls of thunder saying, Elie for the Lord our God, this is being opened up right in front of us. I cannot explain, I cannot put it in words what I'm hearing in the spirit right now. This is, these things are just being opened up. I'm, uh, I cannot tell you, I'm not even allowed to tell you what I'm hearing, but I hope that you can hear. Let the church hear what the spirit is saying to the church. Ah, uh, I'm just getting blown away here. Uh, Elie for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Verse 7, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. This is at the seventh trumpet. And his bride has made herself ready. And again, I say this over and over and over. You can't just put it all on God. Cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me, cleanse me. You have to do some stuff yourself. The bride has made herself ready. 
yes, he does his part. And yes, uh, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive our sins and to cleanse us. But the scripture also says that we've got to make ourselves ready and that we've got to purify ourselves. He cleanses us and he purifies us, but we also got to purify ourselves. We've got to meet him halfway. Verse 8, it was given to her, the church, the woman, us, the bride of Christ, it was given to her to clothe herself. We've got to strip all, well, he can strip us, and but we've got to do it ourselves too. We can, we can say all we want to God, please take off my shoe. Are we children? Are we immature? God, please help me take my pants off. You know, <laughs> help me take my shirt off. Help me take my socks off. He wants us to do some things for ourselves. We've got to grow up and say, God, I choose to live right for you. Yes, cleanse me, Lord. I need it. But I choose to cleanse myself as well. I meet you halfway, and I won't do these things. And I will do this, and I won't do this. Amen. Verse 8, it was given to her to clothe herself. That's a mature woman in fine linen. A bride, a grown woman, ready for the bridegroom. Bright and clean. Bright and clean. Not dull and clean, not filthy. For the fine linen is the righteous acts. The righteous acts of the saints, helping the poor, helping the downtrodden, uh, lifting the feeble knees, supporting people, helping people, feeding the poor, helping the homeless, helping those that we can help who will help themselves, but not if they're not willing to meet you halfway. This is the righteous acts of the saints. Verse 9, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do that, for I am a fellow servant of yours and your brother who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Well, if the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, then why are so many people preaching against prophecy and saying there's no such thing as a prophet in the end times? There's no such thing as a prophet in the new covenant. They don't know anything. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the scriptures. And it's about time they humble themselves, read the scriptures, fast and pray, and start growing up and learning something. There has always been prophets of God and always will be prophets of God until we get to the new heaven and new earth on the eighth day. Amen. The spirit, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Despise not prophesying. 1 Thessalonians 5. And I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. This is not the same horse of Revelation 6 of the four seals. This is a separate white horse, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. Everybody has a picture of Jesus saying, I love you, I kiss you, uh, and all this, let me wash your feet. But the truth is, a loving God, the almighty loving and righteous and true God is also judge, and he is also 
captain of hosts. He is the captain of the army of God that will come down and will destroy the wicked. He judges and wages war. Verse 12, his eyes are as a flame of fire, and on his head are many diamonds or crowns. And he has a name written on him which no man knows except himself. He has clothed he has clothed with a robe dipped in blood. This is spiritual. These are symbolic things. And his name is called the Word of God. John 1 tells us this. Verse 14 says in the army, that us, we are an army, and it's about time we start acting like an army instead of acting like wimps. We have got to start acting like an army. Verse 14. And the army, which is in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following Jesus, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth, a symbol, comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. Remember that the two witnesses in chapter 11, that they breathe far out of their mouths to kill and devour people. It is a symbol for the word of God. And here, in Jesus' mouth also comes the word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged double sword. So, this is talking about the word of God. This is not literally a sword coming out of his mouth. This is a symbol that John sees in a dream, talking about the word of God. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he threads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written. Now, when it says on his thigh, it is not a tattoo, even though I saw a man not long ago on Facebook that said God has a tattoo. God does not have a tattoo. That is such a dirty and filthy thing, he needs to wash his mouth out with soap. It is talking about on his clothing, on his robe, on his side. He has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I saw an angel standing in the sun and a cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds, the raptors, yeah, you want to be tucking out the pre-trib rapture? Do you want to be eaten by these birds? Well, this is not pre-trib, but you can still be eaten by the raptors if you want to. Stand to the birds which fly in the mid-heaven. Come and assemble for the great supper of God. This is a different supper from the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. This is opposite of the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. The church of Babylon, all these false churches of man on every street corner, they don't teach you that there's another supper, that there is an opposite supper. And it's called the great supper of God. Verse 18, so that you may eat, talking to the birds, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast, Arabic word, Assad, the president of Syria, and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him, Jesus, who sat in the horse and against his army. And the beast, Arabic word, Assad, was seized, and with him the false prophet, talking about the two popes, who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who deceived the, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And these two, talking about the two men of the false prophets, plus the fathers, three, remember the three unclean spirits, demons that came out of their mouth. But it says two here, 
because you've got two groups. You've got the son of perdition, who they call the Antichrist, and you've got the two popes. These two groups of men were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone, which proves that they are not human. Because if you look at the whole timeline of the book of Revelation, if you keep reading into chapter 20 and study it out, and really study it and get rid of all the doctrines of man and really study the scriptures, there is no human thrown into the lake of fire until after the great white throne judgment. And a great white throne judgment doesn't happen until a 1,000 and 100 years Jesus comes back. Where do I get the 100 years? Isaiah 65. And also Revelation 20 of the short season. So, Humans were not thrown into the lake of fire until the right throne judgment, 1,100 years after Jesus comes back. But these are not human. These are fallen angels. And they are thrown into the lake of fire on the day of the battle on the getting when Jesus comes and lands on the earth and all the, all the armies with him. And the rest of the people, the humans, were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse Jesus and all the birds, the raptors, were filled with their flesh. Luke 17, verse 37. Where, O oh Lord, do they go? Uh, one man should be in, uh, two men should be in the bed, and one should be taken, and one should be left. Two women should be out in the field, one should be taken, and one should be left. Where will they go, Lord? Luke 17, 37, Jesus said, Where the carcass is, there will the birds be gathered together. So if you want to be one of those that are taken and eaten by the raptor birds, that is between you and God. I don't want to be eaten by a raptor bird. I want to be caught up at the seventh trumpet. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. I really encourage you to check out these scriptures again. Now, after this broadcast is over here in a few minutes, when this broadcast is over, the broadcast will be automatically saved by the, the computer system there on TalkToYou.com and it'll be saved in the archives, and you can listen to this again. You can even burn it onto CD, share it with your family and friends, share it with others, and let's pray that people will get deeper into the meat of the Word of God. We've got to come out of the milk and the childliness and the traditions of man, and, and it's time to get serious about studying the Word, getting this figured out, becoming in the fullness of God's will and being filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can do spiritual things, so that we can do exploits, so that we can do great things, so we can be the army of God in these end times, so that we can have power and authority because God ain't going to give it to wimps. We've got to become mature and be able to handle the meat of the Word of God. I say all these things because I love you and I desire that people mature in Christ Jesus and we come into unity of the faith and of doctrine. So, we've been talking today about the Feast of Trumpets coming up. Anybody know what day that's going to be, the Feast of Trumpets? 14th. Right? So, September the 14th is going to be the Feast of Trumpets. It's not an old covenant thing. This is talking about of Jesus Christ. It's talking about when we're going to be caught up at the seventh trumpet. I'm not saying it's going to occur on that day. I'm saying this day pictures 
the blowing of the trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, September 14th. It's a great holiday that celebrates and pictures to bring into our mind our catching up unto the Lord in the air, to be with the Lord forever, to be with God, to follow Him. It's a great new covenant thing. We don't keep the holy days and feast days by the letter of the law. We keep it by the spirit of the law, the new covenant, to put our minds upon Jesus and upon his coming about our catching up to be with him, about the things that's going to still yet come to pass. The holy days teach us prophecy, how it's going to come to pass. It teaches us things we need to know, things we need to be equipped with, prepared for. We learn these things by keeping the feast days of God, even as Jesus himself kept these days, even as Paul kept these days, even as the apostles and disciples kept these days, even as the first century church of God Almighty kept these days, even as we will keep these days in the millennium, Zechariah 14, that we will keep these days until the new heaven, new earth. Then we won't keep them no more. When new heaven, new earth comes, we won't have to keep the feast days no more because all things will be fulfilled. All things will be fulfilled when heaven and earth pass away. So, now, that concludes the teaching about the Feast of Trumpets, September 14th, and we're going to have Day of Atonement on the 23rd. Very important major day in history. I don't know if anything's going to blow up. It might, it might not. You'll find out when I find out on that day. But it's still going to be a major day in history with the false prophet meeting Obama, even though he is not the son of perdition. Obama is not the son of perdition. People need to come out of these false teachings, these fairy tales, these ridiculous conspiracy theories. People got to come out of all that stuff. Obama is not the son of perdition. I promise you, I proclaim to you in the name of Jesus Christ that the president of Syria is the son of perdition, that he is the one that they call the Antichrist, and the Pope will stand beside him, and both popes will endorse him as God. This is not my opinion. This is not my belief. This is not my research. This is thus saith the Lord. And I take those things very, very serious. And if I'm not for sure about something, i tell you I'm not sure about it. But this I have no doubt. No doubt. And that's why I can say it, thus saith the Lord. And if you do not believe me, I ask you to take it up with God, fast, pray, study the scriptures, and God can reveal it to you as well as he can reveal it to me. Anything and everything that I hear in the Spirit, you can hear as well. God is not a respecter of persons. Amen. Praise God. I really encourage you to be praying for that woman that's in jail, Kim Davis, that woman of Kentucky. Let's keep her in prayer day and night. He needs our prayers. Let's pray that that judge that put her in jail, that he'll be removed from the bench, 
that maybe some other judge will step in, that maybe the governor of Kentucky will step in. There's ways. Let's pray for her release. And even until she is released, let's not stop praying. Let's pray every day, day and night. If she's not released for years, let's keep praying. Let's not forget her. I understand she's not perfect. I'm not perfect either. But she is making a stand for the truth. She's making a stand for righteousness. She's making a stand against wickedness. We need to be praying for Tim Davis and praying and praying and praying and praying for Tim Davis. To be honest with you, is there anybody else that we know that's making such a stand? Those people that's making such a stand in this Bible time, we need to stand with them and support them wholeheartedly and not half-heartedly. We're going to wrap up the Internet session, but uh, I've got a congregation here with me in person. We're going to be doing prayer cards and praying for people and, and writing people. And we're going to have, be having a meal here. And I'd like to encourage you to meet us back again next week. We're here doing this broadcast live, and it's also recorded that you can listen anytime. But the live broadcast is every Saturday at 2 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. Now, we also have a radio broadcast in Detroit, uh, Sunday mornings, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. We have a radio program in Cincinnati, Ohio, Wednesday mornings, 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And that radio program is also available online anytime. You can listen to that radio in the archives. Uh, you can go back several weeks ago uh, for the radio stations and for this broadcast here as well. All the broadcasts are saved in the archives so that you can check this information out. I really encourage you people listening over the phone and over the Internet, check out the website. It's not about me. I don't even put my last name on the website. I don't even put my address on the website. I don't even put my picture on the website. We didn't know the last name of Matthew. We didn't know the last name of the majority of people in the Bible. We didn't know the last name of Moses or of Noah or of Matthew or of Job because, and we don't have their pictures. And we don't have any such picture of Jesus Christ. Uh, it is not about the message. It is about the message. And so, uh, and the reason I point you to the website is so because the scriptures are there that uh, the website points you to the scriptures. And the website will continue to um, um, ask you to pray, to fast, to study the scriptures. But everything must be by the Holy Spirit because you can study day and night and never come to the knowledge of the truth. And I've met a lot of people like that. Got to have the Spirit. We're going to be doing a baptism next Sabbath after services. So we're going to be moving to a different town. We always have services outdoors. So we're kind of mobile here about where we meet. Uh, but if you want to visit us, you're welcome to come to East Tennessee, and we're willing to pick up and go to different towns, different counties throughout East Tennessee because we don't have a church building. We meet outdoors, 
And uh, if you want to come to East Tennessee, we can meet you somewhere, have services somewhere. Uh, and also, we got the Feast of Tabernacles coming up. People are welcome to come and have services with us during the Feast of Tabernacles. We're going to have nine nights, September the 27th through October the 5th. Nine nights. We're going to have either service or services or Bible study, one or the other, every day, as well as uh, classes, uh, prepping classes, how to live off the land, how to pick berries and flowers and herbs uh, so that we'll be equipped uh, for the great tribulation because there's not going to be any such thing as a pre-trib rapture. Yes, God will see us through it, but we're also going to meet him halfway and do our part. He expects us to get on the bicycle and ride it. He don't want us uh, to have to be riding with training wheels and have to hold the bicycle up for us. He wants us to get on the bicycle and ride it. So we need to learn these skills about how to live off the land. God will send uh, the end time version of manna from heaven, absolutely. But we also got to go out there and gather it up ourselves. We got to be able to know what it is and be able to identify it. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Lisa, for listening. Thank you, Lance, for listening. I hope and pray that Brett listens and John Paul. There's so many people very clear to my heart, very near to my heart that I wish would listen. Draw near to God. I hope to meet some people at the feast. People that's been with the ministry for many years different states, different regions. I really want to meet you. I really, really hope to meet some of my brothers and sisters that I've never met before. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your time. And all of this, in the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.